Welcome to the Whitefields Community Church Podcast. For more information about our church, including location and service times, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. If you are blessed by this message, please consider sharing it with others and leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Today's message comes from the series Steadfast in Faith, a study in the book of Jude. In the short book of Jude, we see the importance of remaining steadfast by contending for the truth faith of the gospel and keeping ourselves in the love of God. Here's Pastor Nick. All right, well, please open in your Bibles to the book of Jude. Jude is a small book. It's only one chapter, but it's really easy to find. All you got to do, go to the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, and it's the last book in the New Testament before the book of Revelation. It's a short book, but it's a powerful book. It has a big message from God for us, and we've been studying through it in this short series. As we get towards Christmas, starting next week, we're going to be studying the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to be working our way up through the season of Advent, which is the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. We're going to be working our way up to the story of Jesus' birth, which will hit right on Christmas Eve. And so we're excited for that. But today we're in the book of Jude, so please open there. Our title for our series, Through Jude, is called Steadfast in Faith, which is the theme of the book of Jude. So would you please bow your heads with me, and let's pray as we study God's Word. Heavenly Father, we come to you today, we come with hearts full of expectation, knowing that when we study your word, when we open it up, Lord, you are going to speak to us. But we pray, Lord, that you would build us up in our faith. We pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us and you would help us to learn what it means to keep ourselves in your love. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I wish you were dead. Well, he didn't say those words, but that is exactly what he was communicating by his actions and by the requests that he made. Because what this man requested was that his father give him his inheritance right now. That's kind of a strange thing to ask, right? Because like inheritance is something you get after somebody passes away. But this man told his father, I don't want to wait until you pass away. Really, all you're worth to me is the money that I can get from you when you die, so you might as well just give it to me right now. What this man was doing was he was cutting ties with his family. Now, you can imagine how hurtful this must have been for the father to hear from his son, that the son now wanted nothing to do with him, that his son no longer wanted a relationship with him, that his son essentially wished that he was dead. Well, the father gave in to the son's request. He divided up his property. He gave half to his son. And only a few days later, the son left town. He packed up. He took the money that he had received from his father, including the value of the property that his father had given him. And he went on a journey to a far country. And while he was on that journey, the son squandered all of his inheritance. He spent every last cent on reckless living and he found himself in a desperate situation. He had burned all his bridges. He had nowhere to turn. He had lost everything he had. And the only job that he could get was at a pig farm feeding pigs. And the job paid so poorly that after a while, the man became so hungry that he even began to crave the pig slop that he was feeding to the pigs. And he began to think to himself, you know, what am I doing? Like the servants in my father's household they have it better than this. And he thought to himself, I wonder if my father would be willing to take me back. Certainly he wouldn't take me back as a son, but maybe he would be willing to take me back as a servant. 
And so he swallowed his pride. He took the little money he made from feeding pigs, and he set off on that long journey to go back home to his father's house. And the entire way, we know that he was imagining how it was going to go when he finally arrived home, and he was rehearsing what he would say when he came face to face with his father. And he was nervous, preparing himself for rejection, sure that his father couldn't possibly still love him after the terrible things that he had done. And yet, much to his surprise, as he walked down that final stretch of road to his father's house, he saw someone coming towards him, running down the road in his direction. And it was his father. It turned out that every day, the father had gazed down that road, hoping that his son would come home. Despite all the hurtful things that the son had said, the foolish things he had done, the father never stopped loving him. And the father ran towards him and embraced him. And as he stood there in his father's embrace, the son recited the speech that he had been rehearsing along the way. Well, dad, I'm sure that you can never forgive me for what I've done. You've probably disowned me as your son. But if you're looking for a servant, I sure could use a job right now. To which the father replied, don't be ridiculous. You're my son. He said, I never stopped loving you. And the father brought him in and clothed him, threw a party for him. He killed a fattened calf and called his friends together to celebrate because he said, my son who was dead is now alive. The one who was lost has been found. And this story, the story of the prodigal son, it's been called the greatest short story ever told. It was told by Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. And what Jesus gives us in that story is a description of God's love for us. And what's incredible about this story is that the father never stopped loving the son, even when the son acted in ways that were foolish and sinful, even when the son rejected the father and went away from him. And what Jesus is telling us is that this is how God loves you. There's an incredible passage in Romans chapter 5 where it says that God loved us even when we were ungodly, even when we were sinners, when we treated God as if he was our enemy, he still loved us and sacrificed himself for us at that moment. When we didn't want a relationship with him, when we were in rebellion against him, when we were not submitting to him, God still loved us because God's love is not something that has to be earned. It's not something you have to work for. It's not something you have to merit in order to receive it. Rather, God's love is something that he gives to us because of who he is. You see, God's love, what is it? It's his affection for you. It's his dedication to you, coupled with his actions on your behalf for your good. Now, here's the reason I bring this up. Because at the end of the book of Jude... Jude writes this interesting and intriguing phrase where he says this. He writes this to his readers back then and to us today. Here's what he says. He says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Now that's interesting, isn't it? It's intriguing. Like, what does that even mean? What does it mean to keep yourself in the love of God? Does that mean that somehow... It's up to you to keep yourself lovable by God. Does it mean that you can fall out of God's love if you fail to perform to a certain level? Does it mean that being loved by God is something you have to maintain 
by behaving in the right ways, in a way that shows that you deserve it. Well, certainly that is not what Jude means when he says to keep yourself in the love of God. Instead, to keep yourself in the love of God, as we're going to see in this passage, here's what it means. It means to live in a state of awareness of and appreciation for God's love for you. It means to keep yourself in a place where you are not forgetting that God loves you, right? And you are in such awareness and appreciation for God's love that it shapes the way you live. To keep yourself in the love of God means to live in a way that you are not forgetting his love, that you are not drifting away from God and his love, but instead you're staying connected to him. Think about the prodigal son. The father never stopped loving him, even when he was afar off. And yet, there was a time in his life when he was not experiencing the benefits of the father's love. You see, if he had stayed close to the father, connected to the father, he would have experienced the benefits of the father's love day by day. When he was afar off, he missed out on experiencing the benefits of the Father's love, even though the Father never stopped loving him. It's kind of like this. Imagine a sunny day, right? The sun shining down on a sunny day. Well, God's love, in the same way, is shining down, but you need to put yourself in the position to bask in it and to receive it and experience the blessings and benefits of it. You know, I've known many Christians who did not keep themselves in the love of God. And what that looked like is this. I mean, certainly, God loved them. That wasn't the issue. The issue is this. They were not experiencing the strength and the confidence and the peace and the joy that comes from really knowing and appreciating the fact that they were loved by God. They weren't experiencing the benefits of walking in relationship with God. Instead, they were defeated and anxious dour and despondent, as if there is no hope in the world, as if there is no God who is sovereign over the universe, who loves them and is working all things together for their good and their salvation. And certainly those things are true, but they weren't living in that reality. They weren't experiencing those things themselves. You see, think about this. Don't you think that the awareness of God's love ought to change the way that you experience your life here on earth. And so here's the question for us that this passage is going to address. How do you keep yourself in the love of God? How do you keep yourself in the love of God? The title of today's message is How to Keep Yourself in the Love of God. That's what we're going to talk about. And here's what we're going to see in the end of the book of Jude, in verses 14 through 25. We're going to see that keeping yourself in the love of God involves taking steps to build your faith. It involves cultivating your relationship with God and involves participating in God's work in the world. Those three things. So that's what we're going to see in this passage. I'd love it if you'd write those things down, take that outline with you as you go today into your coming week. And what we're going to do is we're going to take that sentence and that'll be our outline for studying through the passage. So when you, uh, someone asks you later on today, what'd you guys talk about at church? Instead of saying, I don't know. You, you'll be able to tell them. 
This is what we talked about. Keeping yourself in the love of God involves taking steps to build your faith, cultivating your relationship with God, and participating in God's work in the world. Let's look at the first part of that. Keeping yourself in the love of God. Now, the book of Jude was written to address a situation which had arisen in the early church. That situation was that there were certain people who had come into the church who were teaching false doctrines. They were teaching things that were in contradiction to the teachings of Jesus, which had been handed down through the apostles. In verse 3 of this book, earlier in this same chapter, there's only one chapter in the book, Jude talked about our common salvation, and he talked about the importance of contending for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Now, the reason Jude says that is because, you see, these people who had come into the church, they were changing the message. They were altering the gospel. They were teaching things that were different and even in contradiction to the things that had been taught by Jesus. And Jude is a very important person to be able to speak into this situation. Because as we talked about in our study of the first half of Jude, Jude was the half-brother of Jesus. And so Jude, because of his proximity to Jesus, his history with Jesus, he has the authority and the credibility to be able to speak into the situation and say, listen, I know what Jesus taught. I was there. I lived with him. And listen, what these guys are teaching, it's different than what Jesus taught. See, what these false teachers were teaching was essentially a form of permissiveness. It was a form of licentiousness, which said that sin is really no big deal. In fact, they went even further than that. And they said, listen, if Jesus died for our sins and now there's grace, well, then that means it's okay to indulge yourself. It's okay to paint outside the lines, if you will, and do whatever feels good. Essentially, these people were twisting the message of the gospel to make it seem as if the gospel is about giving you permission to engage in ungodly and even sinful behaviors rather than compelling us to live lives that are fully submitted and surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And here in the book of Jude, Jude has been pointing out what is wrong with this thinking and what is wrong with the message of these false teachers. Now, he continues in verse 14, where he says this, It was also about these, meaning these false teachers, that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Now, one of the interesting features of the book of Jude is that Jude makes a lot of references to other writings which he assumes that his readers will be familiar with. So, so far, he has quoted multiple times from the Old Testament. We looked at those in our first study of the first half of Jude. But now, here for the second time in this letter, Jude now quotes from a book which is not in the Bible. Now, here Jude is quoting from the book of Enoch. Now, Enoch was not a biblical book. Uh, it was never viewed as scripture by the Jews nor by the early Christians, but it was a popular book at this time. It was respected and read by many people in the early church, as well as many Jewish people at this time. And 
There are many things in the, book of, in the book of Enoch which are in harmony with things that are taught in the Bible as well. And this is one of those instances. You see here Jude quotes from a prophecy of Enoch which says that the Lord is going to bring judgment upon those who practice ungodliness, which is exactly what these false teachers were doing and encouraging other people to do as well. See, the Enoch who is believed to have written this book is mentioned in the book of Genesis, chapter 5. And then he's mentioned again in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. And he's described as a man who, in the midst of an ungodly generation, he walked with God, and then he was caught up by God to heaven. Jude now goes on with a further indictment of these false teachers. He says, These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. The problem with these false teachers is that they are not keeping themselves in the love of God. Remember, that's what we're talking about today, keeping ourselves in the love of God. And that's what these false teachers were not doing. And here in verse 16, what we see are essentially some symptoms or some effects of what happens to a person when you do not keep yourself in the love of God. And I want to encourage you, we're going to look at this verse a little bit deeper. I want to encourage you to check yourself to see if any of these symptoms might be present in your life. So first of all, we see this. When you don't keep yourself in the love of God, one of the things that can easily happen is that you can slip into becoming a grumbler and a person who is malcontent. In his letter to the Philippians, Paul the Apostle, he said that when he really came to understand the gospel, when it dropped from his head into his heart, when he really understood how much God loved him and exactly what God had done for him in order to save him, he said the effect that that had on him was that it caused him to learn to be content in whatever circumstance he was facing. Because, Paul said, he realized that God was using those circumstances, even the difficult ones, for his good. Paul said, I am who I am by the grace of God, I am where I am by the providence of God, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, Paul was confident that the God who loved him, the God who loved him enough to become a man and die for him, was also in control over all the circumstances of his life, and therefore Paul could be content. You see, friends, I believe that the effect of keeping yourself in the love of God, one of the things that it will do in you, is that it will cause you to complain a lot less. And instead, you find yourself looking for the ways that your loving Father is at work for your good and for His glory, even in the most difficult circumstances. The second thing we see here in verse 16 is that a symptom of not keeping yourself in love of God is that of pursuing your own sinful and selfish desires rather than pursuing God's will. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul the Apostle says this, this phrase that I love so much. He says, for the love of Christ compels us. Right? You can just imagine. It's as if someone grabs you by the neck. It compels you. It draws you in. Because why? We're convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sakes died and was raised again. What Paul's saying here is this. When you really understand, when you really get it, right? The love of Christ, when you see it, the effect it has on you 
is that it causes you to no longer live for yourself. Whereas before, your primary concern was looking out for number one, fulfilling your own desires, making yourself pleased and happy. Now you see that there's something much more important to live for, a higher purpose, a greater calling. Rather than promoting yourself or working for your own advantage, as Jude describes in verse 16, now instead, you want to promote Jesus. You want to join him on his mission and what he's doing and drawing people to himself so that they can be saved. Because why? You're compelled by his love. It drives your life. It becomes the motivation for your life and your actions. Jude then concludes this section of warnings about this false teachers by saying this, verse 17, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. It wasn't a surprise that false teachers had infiltrated the church. Jesus himself had warned that this would happen. Paul talked about it in Acts chapter 20 when he spoke to the elders of the church in Ephesus. Peter talked about it in his letters. Paul wrote about it in his letters to Timothy. It wasn't a surprise that this was happening. We have God's promise as well that he would deal with these people as, he, as we read earlier in this letter. But here's the thing our calling, and the challenge that Jude gives us here in this letter, it's essentially twofold. On the one hand, he calls us to contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. And on the other hand, he calls us to keep ourselves in the love of God. So it's this twofold challenge. On the one hand, to contend for the faith. And on the other hand, to keep yourself in the love of God. That's what it means to be steadfast in faith to contend for the faith by both defending and by spreading the true gospel, the message of Jesus Christ. We, we, we reject both legalism, which denies Jesus' work on the cross, and we reject licentiousness, which denies Jesus' lordship. We want to receive Jesus as both Savior and Lord. And now in the following verses, Jude is going to give us some practical things we can do to keep ourselves in the love of God. So that's what we see in the next part of our sentence. First of all, keeping yourself in the love of God, it involves taking steps to build your faith. Look at what he says in verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. One of the key ways that we can keep ourselves in the love of God, which is that constant awareness of and appreciation for God's love for us in Christ Jesus. One of the key things that we can do to keep ourselves in the love of God is by taking steps to build ourselves up in our faith. So let me ask you that. What are some practical steps that you can take in order to strengthen yourself in your faith? I want you to think about that. You know what the, some of those things are. And I would encourage you, write them down and make a plan. Carry it out. The Bible tells us, for example, some, some steps that are outlined for us in the Bible. The Bible tells us that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. In other words, in order to build yourself up in your faith, one of the most elementary, one of the first steps that you need to take, you need to become a student of God's word. I want to encourage you to read the Bible every day. Study it. 
When you run into something you don't understand, make a note of it. Ask others. Look into it. As you do that, you know what will happen? You will be strengthened in your faith. Another practical step for building up your faith. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, do not neglect gathering together with other believers, as is the habit of some. In other words, in order for you to grow in your faith, it's important for you to be consistent in showing up for worship and studying God's word, encouraging others. Here at Whitefields, you know, we always bang this drum, right? We say, join a group and join a team. You know why we do that? Because we want you to grow and we know that these are the these are the conditions, the situations in which that will happen practically. As you join a group, right? Meeting with people, praying together, encouraging one another, studying together. As you join a team, as you're serving with others, just as Jesus was a servant, we get to serve like Jesus served. We're becoming like him. You see, it's in these situations that we grow. It's in these environments that you're going to grow and be built up in your faith. Another practical step that I've found that helps strengthen your faith is this, taking steps of faith. Taking steps of faith will build you up in your faith. You know that faith, I always give you this definition. Faith means trusting God enough to do what he says. That's the essence of faith. And taking a step of faith, you know what it often looks like? It often means doing that thing which you know that God wants you to do, but for whatever reason, you've been hesitating to do it. You know, what I've found is that one of the most effective ways to grow in your faith in God is by taking steps of faith and obedience in areas that seem perhaps scary or intimidating to you. Those areas where you say, well, I know that God's calling me to do that, but I don't know if that's really practical, right? Those areas where it's a stretch, for you to obey him and to step out in faith. You know why? Because as you do that, you're going to experience his strength and his faithfulness in a way that you will not experience it otherwise. You're going to experience his provision as you step out and do what he's called you to do in ways that you couldn't have otherwise. There are other practical steps that you can take to build yourself up and strengthen your faith. But here's what I want you to notice about this. When Jude says, building yourself up, in your most holy faith. Do you realize what he's saying? He's saying that you are responsible for your own spiritual growth. No one else is responsible. For, you are responsible for your spiritual growth. Think about that. Do you realize that you can have as much of God as you want to have? You can have as much of God as you want to have. You see, spiritual growth is not something that someone else can impose on you or do for you. It's not something that just happens one day when you wake up. Rather, it's a lot like cultivating a garden. There's a process of water and planting, plucking out the weeds, removing the rocks, breaking up the hard ground. But over time, as you take those steps, God will bring the growth. But one of the key ways that you can keep yourself in that place of awe, of and appreciation for God's love is by taking these practical steps to build up and strengthen your faith. The next thing we see is that keeping yourself in love of God not only involves taking steps to build up your faith, it also involves cultivating your relationship with God. At the end of verse 20, Jude says, and praying in the Holy Spirit. 
Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So keeping yourself in the love of God, listen, it isn't just about reading the Bible and going to church. It's also about cultivating a personal relationship with God through prayer. Jesus encouraged us to pray. We often see Jesus himself peeling away from the crowds, taking time to pray and spend time with the Father. The idea that we have a direct line to the God of the universe who can do anything, who is all-powerful, that's incredible. What a privilege and what an opportunity to be in relationship with our Creator, the very purpose for which we were made. And we get to cultivate that relationship through prayer. But notice here, Jude encourages us to pray in a specific type of way, doesn't he? To pray what he calls praying in the Spirit. In the book of Romans, chapter 8, it says this, that we oftentimes don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us, oftentimes in groanings that are too deep for words. You know, you've experienced it yourself. Many times we aren't sure how to pray for something or what to pray in a particular situation. Oftentimes you might find yourself at a loss for words. It's times like those that the Holy Spirit helps us to pray. And so even when you aren't sure how to pray or what to pray, when you don't have the words to pray, you can still be cultivating your relationship with God by communicating with him in prayer. And this is an important way to keep yourself in the love of God as you look forward to that final day and the hope that we have for all eternity. And the final part of our sentence here is this. Keeping yourself in the love of God, it involves taking steps to build your faith, cultivating your relationship with God, and finally, participating in God's work in the world. Jude concludes this section by saying, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. What Jude is talking about here is how we ought to engage those who have been affected by false teaching. So first of all, what this means is that as Christians, we are to be participating in God's work in the world. But the other thing to notice here is that Jude makes a distinction, doesn't he? between the false teachers who are leading people astray, and he makes a distinction between those who have fallen victim to the false teachers, those who are being confused and led astray. In other words, there's a difference between someone who's in rebellion against God and someone who's been confused and led astray because of wrong messages that have been spread around. I think that's an important distinction for us to make as well in our day, too. Because there are many people in the world today who have been confused. They've been led astray by messages that are propagated in our culture. And rather than viewing these people who don't think or believe the way that we do, listen, rather than viewing them as our enemies, instead what we're called here to do is to approach them with mercy and to engage them with the truth. You know, over the years I've talked with a lot of people some of them my own family members and friends, uh, who have said things to me like, well, you know, the Bible can't really be trusted because it's full of contradictions. Or they'll say, you know, the Bible's been changed over the years. It's not really trustworthy. Or maybe they'll say, you know, science disproves the Bible. Or they might say that God must not exist because there's so much evil and tragedy in the world. But what I, I've come to realize, and I think you will too, as you engage these people in, in further conversation, 
as you talk with them, as you press them a little bit about these things that they say, here's what I've usually found is that these are not conclusions that these people have come to as a result of research and study. These are just things that they've heard other people say and they assume that it must be true because they never heard anybody challenge it. So they say, well, okay, I guess that must be true. Other people are saying it. And in many cases, if you take the time to answer their questions and challenge those assumptions, you can actually remove some of the barriers that they thought stood in the way of them believing in Jesus and embracing the gospel, and you can help them move from doubt to belief. So have mercy on those who doubt. Engage them with the truth. Jude is encouraging us as Christians to be actively pursuing people who have been led astray. In other words, keeping yourself in the love of God, it's not just about taking care of your own relationship with God. An important aspect of it is to be speaking to others, sharing your faith, drawing them to Jesus as well. For those who have doubts, we want to lovingly engage them with the truth. For those who are on the path to destruction, we're to pursue them so that we might do what Jude says here, to snatch them out of the fire. In other words, there's a sense of urgency there, isn't there? Jude wants us to understand exactly what's at stake for those who have turned away from the Lord, who've gotten caught up in sin, we're to pursue them and call them back to the Lord. And as we reach out to others, he says also, keep an eye on yourself, lest you get caught up in those same things yourself. The point is this, God is at work in the world. He's on a mission to seek and save those and that which has been lost to sin. And he wants to use you and me to accomplish some of that work. Now, maybe you're wondering, what does that have to do with keeping yourself in the love of God? Well, I'll tell you this. One of the most effective ways to keep yourself in a place of awareness of and appreciation for God's love for you is to talk about it with others. Do you realize that? When you share your faith with others, as you hear those words coming out of your mouth, as you articulate those thoughts, your faith will be strengthened. When you share your testimony of how God has worked in your life, it causes you to think about and grow in appreciation for God's love and faithfulness to you. When you engage in conversations about your faith, you know what else happens? It drives you back to the scriptures. It causes you to say, I, I got to get to church and find out because they asked me some questions. I don't know the answer to them. So I got to go look into it. I got to find it. It drives you to a place of prayer and dependence on God. God, empower me. Help me in this situation. Work through me. It's this beautiful cycle of growth that takes place in which you are keeping yourself in the love of God. And it won't just be a fact that God loves you but it will be something that you experience. You'll experience the benefits of it and it will shape the way you live. It will transform the way you think and act and feel. And now Jude concludes the letter with perhaps what is the most beautiful doxology in the entire Bible. A doxology is a statement of praise to God. And here's what he says in verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. What Jude tells us through this doxology, he reminds us that even though we are called to be steadfast in faith, even though we are called to contend for the faith and to build ourselves up in our faith and keep ourselves in the love of God, the fact is that God, with all of his incredible strength, he is committed 
to helping you do that. The God who calls you to do these things will also strengthen you to be able to do these things. As you take his hand and walk with him, he will come behind you with all of his strength to empower you to do these things as you stay connected to him. And the end result for those of us who are in Christ is that we will stand before him blameless in his glorious presence with great joy. That's the destiny that awaits those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. And you know what? That can be you. These things can be true for you. You can put your faith in Jesus, both as your Savior and as your Lord. And as you do that, like the prodigal son when he returned home to, this fa to his father, you know what? Not only will you know the fact of God's love, but you'll experience the benefits of his love in a way that will shape and transform your life. Friends, keeping yourself in the love of God, it involves taking steps to build your faith, cultivating your relationship with God, and participating in God's work in the world. Would you please bow your heads with me and let's pray. You have been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Make sure to tap the subscribe button if you would like to have new messages delivered to your device every week when they are released. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support our ministry, you can do so by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or by giving a donation to our church on our website at whitefieldschurch.com.